Hey, it's Pastor Mike. A really small step that could be a really big blessing to our ministry and to the kingdom of God is you taking just a second to rate and review this podcast. You probably know how algorithms work. More people get to hear about this podcast and most importantly, hear about Jesus when you do. So thanks for helping us out and may God bless you today. When I stand right here and the lights go on and the message begins, I, I'm almost always subconsciously thinking about the exact same thing. These three rows. Because of that. Uh, because of you who are watching at home. If I'm making eye contact with you right now, that means you're not live here at our church. It means you're watching on TV. It means you're live streaming on your favorite device. It means that I'm looking to you through the lens of a camera. It's actually one of the, the three cameras in our church. This is what we call the close-up camera, which is why you can see like this. Yeah, about half of me. But that's not the only camera here. There's also this camera. And this camera is the reason I think about these three rows. Uh, did you know that that camera, what we call our wide shot, doesn't just show the pastor up front. It, it shows the heads or lack of them in these front three rows. And do you know why I think about that every single Sunday? Because many of the people who are watching at home, when they have a, a TV clicker in their hand, are exactly like you. Do you know what you do when you're clicking through the channels at home? You give every channel about four-tenths of a second of a chance. You can tell me if I'm wrong after church, but I bet you click, decide, click, decide, click, decide, click, decide, click, decide. We had a media consultant a few years ago who, who told me the sad but true reality of television ministry that the people won't give me or our church or this book or this message five minutes of their attention. They will make an instinctual decision about whether this is good enough and worthy enough of their attention. And do you know how they often do it? Based on how many people are sitting in these three rows. If they're clicking through and it looks like there's just a guy in a church that maybe has nine people in it, that must be a bad church. <laughs> Click. And there might be dozens of you here. There might be hundreds of you here. Every seat might be filled here, but the people out there don't know that. All they know is me and these three rows. And so the consultant told us, said, you don't have to have a mega church. You don't have to have a huge church. You don't have a full church. But what I need to have happen every single Sunday is a head that can be seen in every single chair. Now, why am I telling you this? So next Sunday, you pick a new seat? <laughs> yes. Yes, actually, that would be very, very helpful. Oh my goodness, that, that small choice that you make on Sunday could help someone at home give this message a chance because it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about that book that maybe they could hear if we gave them a good reason to. But it, it's not just that. I, I wanted to tell you that story today um, because so often 
when it comes to church, we think a lot like the people who are watching at home. We wonder sometimes, is this worth it? I'm not sure if you're new to church or if you're a, a longtime church attender, but, but on occasion, there are those experiences that we have in worship that are so good. They're so moving. It, it's almost like you can feel the, the presence of God. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it. You ever been there like an Easter Sunday service where it's packed, setting up extra chairs, the classic song starts and people sing so loudly, just... Or you go to a Christian concert, and, and the band plays like their classic song and there's hundreds, thousands of voices. And you just get swept up in that spiritual experience. There are amazing moments that many of us have in worship. And, and then there's the other 97% of the time. When you come to a church like this and there's empty seats, you find your seat 10 minutes before church and you start checking your watch and wonder where the other people are. Maybe if you're watching at home, you go to your church where there's a couple dozen people, maybe 50, maybe 100. Most of them sing on key. Not all. It's 60 people trying to clap and, and keep the beat. And it's, it's nice, I guess, but it's not, it's not like the experience. And sometimes, maybe like the people watching on TV, we ask ourselves subconsciously, is is this worth it? Like, if I just watched at home, would that be just as good? If I took a Sunday off, would that be just as good? I hope I'm not breaking any confidence here, but I asked um, Jonathan, our worship director, uh, earlier today, Jonathan, when, when you stand up here and there's not many people in church, what are you thinking? Like when the second service comes along at our church, that's the much less attended service. There's just a, a smattering of people and a lot of empty chairs that you're staring at. What, what, what do you think in that moment when worship begins? And Jonathan told me, I'm thinking, only an hour till dinner. <laughs> right? <It's> like, <laughs> you know this, right? Like you get, you get yourself fired up and you know it matters and you know it's church and you know that Jesus said it, but... And so sometimes we have to remind ourselves, why does this matter? Why is this worth it? If this isn't a mega church, if not every seat is filled, like, what's the point? Um, if you ever feel that way, if you ever come to church and it's not the most moving experience of your life, there is one thing today that I want to encourage you to do. Read Revelation. If you're getting a little bit discouraged about your church experience, I think the, the best thing that you could do is read the first chapters of the last book of the Bible. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
Um, Just like John had experienced persecution from the local government, um, many of the early Christians did too. Uh, The book of Revelation was probably written in the late or to mid-90s AD when an emperor named Diocletian hated Christianity, tortured Christians, brutalized them in, in just unthinkable ways, murdered them. And so churches wouldn't meet in churches like this. They would meet in people's houses. So how many people do you think went to the average church service in Smyrna? Yeah, maybe if there was a rich Christian in the congregation, they'd have a, a bigger home with a courtyard. Archaeologists estimate you know, maybe 50 people, maybe 75, 150 max, but that was probably what these seven churches were like. Not, not like a big mega church buying a stadium to worship. These are probably gatherings like the average American church gathering is, about, let's say, 75 to 100 people. And yet this voice speaks to John, this trumpet-like voice says, I want to send a letter to each of these seven congregations. And do you know who the voice belonged to? Jesus. And not like hippie hair, tie-dye shirt, tattered Birkenstocks, Jesus. The John that Jesus saw Actually, look at the next verses. Verse 12, John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes, his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Apparently, Jesus right now is so Glorious. The sight of him is so much that even when his former best friend was reunited, it almost killed him. This Jesus is glorious. He's like a Middle Eastern king dressed in Egyptian linen with a Versace sash encrusted in gold around his chest. His hair it glows like a fresh coat of snow on the sunniest day. His eyes are are like ovens. They just burn through every excuse, every half-truth, and get to the heart of the matter and the heart of humans. His feet are, are bronze, not brittle clay, but strong and unmoving. And when he opens his mouth, Niagara Falls falls out. His words roar, and they cut like a sword, a sharp double-edged sword that gets to a person's very soul. And his face, his face is like the sun. The sun that gives life and can kill you. The sun that you pray comes up in the morning and you reach for sunblock because it's dangerous for you. This, this Jesus is glowing, holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal. And John drops to the ground as though dead. 
But then comes my second favorite part. Verse 17, then Jesus placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. John ain't sure if he's going to make it. And then Jesus, with this powerful right hand, he reaches it out in tenderness and he touches John. He says, John, don't be afraid. I was dead because I died for you. I am alive because I rose for you. The same hand that was pierced for you holds the keys of death itself. If I lock the door to hell, no demon can drag you in. And if I unlock the gate to heaven, there's nothing in this life that can keep you out. Don't be afraid, John. And he brings John up to his feet and, and he speaks to him. Now my favorite part of this text. Listen to what Jesus says. Write therefore what you have seen what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Yes. You want me to read that again? Holy cow, what's wrong with you people? This, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. <laughs> do you get, do any of you get right now what this passage is saying? Where was this glorious Jesus? This glowing hair, golden sashed, blazing eyes, brilliant face, holy, perfect, beautiful, life-giving, fear-reducing son of God. Where was he? The text says, I turned and saw among the lampstands someone like a son of man. And the lampstands are the seven churches that most of you have never heard of. Jesus Christ, God himself, showed up in Sardis and Smyrna, which means today he shows up in Appleton, Milwaukee, Wausau, Fort Myers, <laughs> Chicago, wherever you're watching on TV. Jesus did not stay contained in Jerusalem or Rome, or the biggest cities of the ancient world. He showed up where Christians gathered. A couple dozen, 50, maybe 100. The glorious Son of Man walked among the lampstands. If you're taking notes, here's how I would summarize the, the best news of my week. Jesus is God with us. He is God. He, he's not some eh, higher power. He, he is God. 
And he shows up with us. With churches like this. With people like you. <laughs> Reminds me of this amazing thing that happened about um, 10 years ago. About a decade ago, there was a, a Roman Catholic priest who wanted to build a new spiritual retreat center on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. So they, they came up with the plans, the schematics, and they started to dig. But what the priest didn't know, what no one knew, was just inches beneath, get this, inches beneath the 21st century soil were some first century stones. And they dug down, and the archaeologists realized that they had found something very, very important. They had found Magdala, the city where Mary Magdalene was from. And they didn't just find the city. I'll show you a picture. They found the synagogue for Magdala. They unearthed it. You can see it today. You should Google it. I got to tell you, it is, it is a trip to stand on the very stones where the Son of God once stood. But once I got over that experience, here's what hit me about this synagogue. It was so small. If my numbers are right, the synagogue at Magdala measured 33 feet by 33 feet. Much, much, much smaller than even this church. Uh, they tried to recreate what first century Jewish synagogues were like, and uh, this next picture might give you a good depiction. A podium where the preacher would stand, surrounded on three sides with maybe three rows, pack 70 people in, maybe 100 if, if everyone squeezed and didn't mind getting in each other's bubbles. And guess who preached at the synagogue of Magdala? Jesus of Nazareth. Which proved in his ministry what Jesus would go on to say in the book of Revelation, that he is the God who shows up in places just like this. Now, I can't wait for the weeks to come. In the next chapters of Revelation, we are going to learn that Jesus doesn't just show up in churches like this. He knows churches like this. He has a unique personal message for individual average pastors and regular Christian people like us. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He has encouragement to give, correction to offer, promises to put wind in our sails. He cares that much about regular churches. But, but just for today, I, I want you to soak your soul in this scripture that God is here. He is not waiting for Easter Sunday. He's not like the, the talented public speaker who only takes the offers in the biggest and best spaces. He is not waiting for our church to grow. He is not waiting for us to be perfect. This Jesus, this glorious Jesus, is in this room here today. You ever thought of that? If before when you were getting coffee, before church, I said, everyone, there is legit an angel in our church today. <laughs> what would you have done? 
<laughs> Got your phone out, put it on video mode, open the door, like, oh, an angel? <laughs> Get this. There are 10,000 times 10,000 angels. There is only one Jesus. And he is among the lampstands. He shows up in churches. He sat down today next to the girl who got cut from her JV volleyball team. And the guy who's working at a new job and he's just not sure if it's the right path for him. Jesus grabbed a bulletin and pulled up a seat next to the couple whose, whose marriage is anything but marvelous who are working hard in counseling and they don't know where the road is going to end. He's sitting next to the man who just had the greatest moral failure of his life and doesn't know how to tell his family. He's sitting next to the, the people who have professors who don't know their first names. He's sitting next to those of you who get seven likes on your social media pictures on your good days. He's right here next to an average pastor preaching a sermon that most of you will forget by Tuesday because he's not waiting for us to be better. He is right here. So the next time you go to church and it's not a moving experience, I want you to remember what John revealed. I want you to close your eyes and, and conjure up the imagery of this Jesus. I want you to find an empty chair in the worship space and just look and just think and just let your soul rise to the level of this truth that the most beautiful, glorious, powerful, loving, compassionate, kind person in the universe is right here. He's not waiting in Jerusalem. He's not on the top of a mountain. He is right here. And before the thought of him <laughs> makes you curl up under your chair in the fetal position in fear, before you fear that his blazing eyes will, will look to the very depths of your soul, he reaches out that powerful right hand and he says the same thing he said to John. Don't be afraid. I know, he says. I know all of it. Don't be afraid. I know about your faith. I know how quickly you get afraid. I know how often you stumble. I know how often you fall. I could remember as much of that as I want to, but I have chosen to remember it no more. Do not be afraid. And he would look at you with those blazing eyes and they would fill up your heart with so much love that, that you could not walk out of church. Next Sunday, I'm going to walk up on the stage. I'm going to look at all three of these rows and they're going to be filled, right? <laughs> Even if they're not, I'm going to find an empty chair and I'm going to think, God, imagine if God was right there. 
Because he is. He is. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you today to open the eyes of our heart that we could see invisible things. Help us to see with the senses of our soul things that would make angels fall down and worship for all eternity. Help us to believe, not in some small God, but the most beautiful vision in all of creation. God, help us to believe that that's you and that you are not far over there. You are right here with us. Lord, there are people in this space, there are people watching at home who are afraid of something. And you might not take that thing away, but you can prove to their hearts that you are infinitely greater and absolutely in control. Lord, there are people here who are sick. And if they could believe that you truly hold this keys of death in your hand, that you were dead, but then you rose to conquer death, Lord, help us to believe that this is the Lord's day, not just because you made it, but because you rose on a day just like it. Heavenly Father, open the eyes of our heart that we could see you clearly and realize just the height and width and depth of your love, that we would never be afraid of anything, that we would come running through the doors next Sunday, even if it was just us here, because you have promised that you are the kind of God who walks among the lampstands. Everything else is temporary, God, except you. Thank you for being here today, next Sunday, and forever. We pray in your glorious, glorious name. And all God's people said, amen. Do you find Jesus really interesting, but kind of confusing? Maybe today you sense that God is working on your hearts and giving you a new excitement about the things of the Christian faith, but you're not quite sure what to do next. If so, you're exactly the kind of person that I wrote this brand new book for called The Basics. Uh, it's not AP Bible. And it's not going to answer every question you have about Christianity, but it's going to get you back to the basics of why Jesus is worth following today and for the rest of your life. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to download your free copy. People all around the world are hungry for a good life. A life that you and I know can only be found in the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why it's such an honor and a privilege as Christians to share this good news with all the nations around the world. But have you ever thought of this? The good news only sounds good if you can understand it. God is love or Jesus forgives you is amazing news if you speak English. <laughs> but if you don't, then it's just words that you don't quite get. This is why I'm so excited about a brand new challenge grant. Some amazing friends of Time of Grace have offered a $140,000 challenge grant, meaning that your gift is going to go twice as far to reach twice as many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's just one example of what we're doing here at Time of Grace. We're currently working with a Brazilian missionary living in Croatia who's translating the gospel that we share at Time of Grace into Brazilian Portuguese so that people who don't speak English can celebrate the same good news that we do. Remember his mission? Preach the good news to all creation. One day we're going to gather around the throne of Jesus with people from all over who speak all different languages and yet we share this one faith that Jesus is King and he gives us life to the full. To thank you for your financial gift towards our $140,000 challenge grant, 
Pastor Mike would like to send you a book he co-wrote with his pastoral colleagues called Letters from Jesus. In this new book, you'll discover how the letters from Jesus to the early church found in the early chapters of the book of Revelation still speak clearly to your life today. Request yours when you give to our $140,000 challenge grant by calling 800-661-3311, visit timeofgrace.org, write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. Time of Grace doesn't end here. Visit timeofgrace.org and explore encouraging resources or sign up for our daily email and have everything delivered right to your inbox. Like our Grace Moments devotions, Grace Talks devotional videos, blog, and podcasts. Follow us on social media where you'll find a supportive Christian community. If you need prayer, give us a call and let us know what's on your heart. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week on Time of Grace.